What's up, Video Landers? I'm your host, Dr. Diamond Doug. Triple D. And with me tonight is my droogie, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac. That's me. Quick reminder, you can find us on AdventuresInVideoLand.com or on our Facebook page at Adventures in Videoland. We are critics with attitude. In many of the AV podcasts, you'll hear some bad language. That's not really our style. So we'll try to keep this PG-13. Also, spoiler alert, if you don't want tonight's movie ruined, pause this episode, watch the movie, and come back later. With that said, tonight we'll be talking about Pantheon nomination number eight, A Clockwork Orange. Nominated by Cousin Wayne with guest voter Seth Fisher. Before we get to any of that, let's chat for a second about Pantheon. Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac, what is Pantheon? Uh, Pantheon is a movie that is essential viewing. You need to watch this movie. It should be a part of your a part of your uh, life's history. It should be something that you have experienced. But more than that, this needs to be a movie that firing on all the cylinders. It should it should have a great director, an excellent script. The casting should be on point. If there's music involved, it should be fantastic music. Stuff that you remember that helps you feel the emotions of the experience. And if there's special effects, you know, they should stay in the test of time. Yeah. It should be the full package. And if it is an example of a type of movie, yes. a genre of movie, then it should be the best of its type. If it's a porn, it should be the best porn if ever If it's a karate made. movie, it should be the, the best karate best movie karate out there. Movie ever if it's made. a uh, good-bad movie, it should be the oh. best good bad movie the best worst movie ever made all the cringes <coughs> should be there miami connection mm. cheers launches uh on that note about pantheon can you tell me how the voting works well at pantheon voting there is a council of nine members and uh each of those members gets a vote uh there's a guest voter seth fisher for example for the movie that we're talking about this time and the guest voter uh, is invited by the nominating uh, council member. They get a vote. And then the uh, Facebook poll, there's an open Facebook poll. Anybody can vote in it. That's a member of the AV uh, Facebook group, which is an open group. You can join. Uh, and the winner of that poll uh, ends up being a vote. So and it's a total of 11. That's total of 11. And they need two-thirds majority, which doing quick math is seven votes That's out right. of the 11 in order to be considered Pantheon. It's a pretty straightforward uh, decision, yes, no, in the end, and it's it, it allows everybody that's a part of the AV community to have a voice uh, in some way. Sure, this is the eighth movie that we're looking at so far. This year. And uh, just uh, tell me which movies, uh, not, not the votes yet, but which movies have we looked at so far? Uh, we start off the year looking at Dear Zachary, uh, nominated by Jeremy, Boogie Nights, nominated by Ryan, Pink Floyd, The Wall, uh, Nathan's nomination, Miami Connection, nominated by Brad, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, uh, nominated by Kyle Young, Frankenstein, nominated by Matthew, and last time we talked about Cabaret, which was Rachel's nomination uh, for Pantheon. So which of these made it? Dear Zachary, did it make it? It did not. It only got two out of 11 votes, so not even close. Boogie Nights? Almost. Six of 11. Missed it by one. Pink Floyd, The Wall? Only three out of 11. Didn't make it. Miami Connection? Only six out of 11, but nearly made it. So we were actually batting zero yeah. at that point. Life Aquatic? Nine of 11. Killed it, made it, 
totally is a part of Pantheon history. Young Frankenstein. A 9 of 11 again. And, and we're right in there. And Cabaret. Back to a lower score. He's only got 3 of 11. Uh, Rachel's nomination for Cabaret. It's it's interesting, though, because you would think that a movie like Cabaret that's a Academy of multiple Academy Award winning, so well 1972 received. got 8 of them. Just yep. an amazing, like, historical waypoint that this would definitely be in Pantheon, but that's not how no. this works. We're not saying what's the most popular movie ever made. Pantheon decision is, does it stand the test of time? Is it essential? Sure, and we'll Cabaret see. Cabaret was a no. We'll see, how, uh, we'll see how our movie, A Clockwork Orange, fares tonight, and we'll chat about that a little bit sure. later in the episode. So, wait, today. we're going to have an answer at the end of the episode? We, we will know today? We're going to predict. Oh, we're going to have a prediction. Yeah. Even better. All right. Uh, what was the first time you saw A Clockwork Orange? The first time I saw A Clockwork Orange uh, was uh, in uh, E129 on Purdue's campus. Saw it in college. I saw it during college. It was a double play with, I believe, Blue Streak or Silver Bullet, one of those. Uh, yes. That was a very much the same story with Cabaret as well, right? It was. Uh, Cabaret actually was uh, in a movie... Another one of those. ...adventure, where we saw yeah. a lot of movies, including Cabaret, but that was also on campus. Yeah. My first time was in college as well. I was a junior in college, mm. and a bunch of people had said, oh, we should watch this movie. That was 2001? Somebody had... That was... <laughs> let's see. That was 1995. 95. All right. Yeah, and, uh, and, and somebody said, oh, I've got a, a VHS copy of this. Let's go ahead and watch it yeah. it's supposed to be pretty naughty and ra- raunchy and uh so a whole bunch of us guys sat in the room and watched a clockwork orange to- together did you, did you all feel uncomfortable at all the parts that got fuzzy would people somebody had rewind and backed up and played it again and back well up and I, all i can say is we got to the end and nobody spoke to each other and we just left the room oh like an uncomfortable yeah. uh, party yeah. okay yeah um so uh, this movie uh, deals a lot with violence. They call it ultraviolence. Ultraviolence. Uh, so, in your history, did you have any moments of droogish ultraviolence <laughs> that you ever enacted? You ever engaged with? You know, the closest thing was when I took all of my brother's beer can collection out to the woods and shot the holy snot out of it with my BB pellet gun until every single some of them very expensive beer cans in his collection was nothing but you know scrap. Yeah, and and for me, I, it, like if I had to say the closest thing, I am I would not be one of uh, Alex's droog no, crew. That's I'm for surprised. sure. Uh, I think it was like when I was like ten, the the older neighbor kids uh, convinced me and my friend uh, that we needed to fight each other, uh, and I threw one punch and then uh, I ran away crying. <laughs> that's that's pretty part and parcel for the rest of my life, right there, in my, terms of my approach to violence. My childhood fight experience. <laughs> Was not quite so tame. I no. got in a lot of fights as a kid. Yeah. I did not win most of them. You were a scrapper. <laughs> I was a I was a scrappy. Yeah, I think I was the scrappy. I think at that you were, point you were like in Billy Boy's crew as opposed to Alex's uh, crew in the movie. The problem, they right? got beat yeah, up. They got pretty bad. Right. All right, let's chat about some of the movie facts uh, for. A Clockwork Orange. Uh, just run us down uh, the list right here. The rating. Rating. Depending on where you were in the world. R, X, uh, 
but it was uh, definitely in current in current ratings. It would be a rated R movie. Genre: the drama slash comedy slash horror slash sci fi slash satire. Something. Yeah. All right. It was directed, screenplay by, and produced by Stanley Kubrick. The Wendy music. Carlos. Yeah. Music by Wendy Carlos. Cin- cinematography. John Alcott. And edited by Bill, Bill. Butler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In theaters, uh, December 19, 1971 in New York. February. So I would have been five years old when yeah. this hit the theater. So there's no way I would ever have seen this your, when it opened. Your parents did not drive you from Illinois out to New York. No. <laughs> in 1971 no. to watch this X-rated film. No. February no. 2, 1972 was the wide, world, the U.S. wide and January 13, 1972 in the U.K. And you know that one year gap in there, there was an editing change made. Uh, some people said for more uh, sexually inappropriate and some people said, like adjusting violence for sex and others said it went the other way so I think there's almost a matter of taste but there was an edit in there in that year gap the runtime of this movie is two hours and 17 minutes studio Polaris productions also uh, the Warner Brothers is listed at the beginning of mm. the movie and uh, it's based on a book a clockwork orange by Anthony Burgess who yep. was a renaissance man of sorts who did lots of things, including dabbled in sociolinguistics. And that, that'll come in, come in handy in our conversation, in our conversation a little, about little, their little language. bit later. Uh, read, read us off our synopsis. All right, so this is from Metacritic, actually. Uh, Kubrick, Kubrick makes, uh, makes of Anthony Burgess' celebrated novel a savage and satiric morality play centering on Alex, played by McDowell, who fights, robs, rapes, and kills like any conscienceless, consciousless, consciousless. That is a hard word without my glasses. Predator captured and imprisoned, uh, imprisoned literally by the legal system. He undergoes treatment to condition him as quote safe, a clockwork orange, healthy title of the movie, and a hole on the outside, but still crippled within because the reflex mechanisms beyond his control. Uh, that is the synopsis from Metacritic. It it it's, it it takes only that this is this set synopsis takes the core of the movie though, and squishes it down like a compressed aluminum can. You don't get the fullness of no. what's actually going on. You don't. And that. the um, so the phrase "a clockwork orange" comes from Anthony Burgess, who said that it was a phrase that he found in 1945 in Britain uh, that. Uh, it's as queer as a clockwork orange, which is referring to an orange, which is a natural thing, and clockwork, which is mechanism. Right. So to have an artificial an orange. artificial mechanism for an organic thing put together, right, uh, and that becomes the metaphor later for the the yeah. nature versus nurture. Yeah. What happens to Alex's character as he goes through his, uh, you know, reprogramming, reconditioning, whatever trigger word you sure. want to use here. Uh, is that he is like a clockwork orange Sure. Uh, in the end. Tell me about some ratings here, Mr. Miggity Mac. Well, IMDb has an 8.3 rating for this movie, Metacritic an 80. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 90% fresh, 93% liked it, and Google has an 89% like. So this was, and is, a popular movie. Sure. And uh, Roger Ebert... 
uh, gave it two out of four stars. <laughs> he did not care for it all all that much. I'll read some of his stuff. He well, said, hold on, before you do it, I'm not sure, and listeners will tell, just from his words, I'm not sure you can tell Ebert didn't like it, but go ahead. Yeah. Let's see if we can suss this out. Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange is an ideological mess. A paranoid right-wing fantasy masquerading as an Orwellian warning. It pretends to oppose the police state and force mind control, but it all all it really does is celebrate the nastiness of its hero, Alex. I don't know, but the New York critical establishment really hyped a clockwork orange for more than it's worth, and a lot of people will go, if only out of curiosity, too bad. In addition... To the things I've mentioned above, things I really got mad about, A Clockwork Orange commits another, perhaps even more unforgivable, artistic sin. It is just plain talky and boring. You know there's something wrong with a movie when the last third feels like the last half. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I gotta say, the first time I saw this movie, I thought, they're sure talking a lot. Mm. So, you know, that's obviously not reading Ebert's review. I just, I kind of agreed at that point. Now... Siskel and Ebert, the Gene Siskel would hang Siskel. out with Roger Ebert in terms of Siskel and Ebert's the yeah. uh, at the movies. Uh, what did he think of the movie? Well, he had a slightly different point of view. Uh, in his Chicago Tribune review, he said four out of four stars. Kubrick's Kubrick's contributions are his wit and his eye. The wit too much at times, is as biting as in Dr. Strangelove, and the production, while of another order, is as spectacular as in 2001. Now, Christopher Ricks of the New York Review of Books, uh, this is listed as rotten in Rotten Tomatoes, says it has a central (laughs) failure of courage and confidence manifest in its need to caricature, both in manner, timid at heart, and in, in, in its determination that nobody except Alex had better get a chance. Uh, f- there's a fresh from Andrew Collins of Radio Times who says Kubrick's vision is a thing to behold. Whether or not it's an actual masterpiece, it still is still up for debate. What I- it is, however, is prescient, visceral, compelling, and hard to forget. And I will agree with that last I agree with uh, that statement. Too. And... Um, the last one here is a rotten from Andrew Saris, Village Voice, says, <laughs> a painless, bloodless, and ultimately pointless futuristic fantasy. I read that, and I thought to myself, gosh, that seems harsh. And then I thought, all right, let's look at this from the point of view of someone who didn't enjoy watching the movie. Oh, yeah, no, that's actually <laughs> kind of right on the money. Uh, why don't you walk me down some of the Metacritic reviews right there? All right, um, and and the numbers. Once so again on the numbers here, we'll we'll say like a hundred or eighty. This is Metacritic's uh, interpretation of the review itself. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they were saying that of this review, which is from uh, uh, a staff member at TV Guide magazine. Kubrick's, Kubrick's liberal, anti-authoritarian... You really want to say Kubrick. I want to say Kubrick. Like Kubrick. Like Kubrick. Yeah. yeah. I know, Kubrick. Kubrick's liber, uh, liberal, anti-authoritarian reading of Anthony Burgess' very Catholic, allegorical novel is morally confused, but tremendously powerful. No serious moviegoer can afford to ignore it. It's a 100... So here's the thing. If you, would, if you feel that A Clockwork Orange... Is this 
then this would absolutely be a five. It would be in Pantheon. Mm -hmm. You would have to vote yes. You have to vote yes. So from Variety, the uh, Metacritic list, this is an 80. A brilliant nightmare. The film employs outrageous vulgarity, stark brutality, and some sophisticated comedy to make an opaque argument for the preservation of respect for man's free will, even to do wrong. Chicago Reader, Dave Kerr, says a very bad film. Gives it. A, they, they interpret this as a 20, by the way. A very bad film, snide, barely competent, and overdrawn, that enjoys a perennial popularity, perhaps because its confused moral position appeals to the secret Nietzscheisms within us. Yeah, wow, Nietzscheisms. Fun word to say. All right, from the hoi polloi of the Metacritic viewers, the regular folk who chime in. Mm -hmm. Frank B. says anyone who dislikes this film obviously didn't understand its brilliance and should be eugenized or have their kids exterminated to stop the flow of stupidity in society. Tell Ted K. and the um, a-hole. a-hole from Chicago Reader that I'm going to rape their wives and kill her with a giant a D statue, just like my homeboy Alex did in the movie. I'm thinking it's a little overly harsh for me. I do. I just, I, 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 he's challenging our PG-13 rating and he's trying to re- physically threatening another person and or their wife. Uh, but on the other hand, I have heard people say things like this about both for and against oh, Star yeah. Wars movies. Both Batman versus Superman <laughs> or DC. Yeah, you name it. You're like, <laughs> Marvel. Square Man, this movie's the best. Anyone who likes this film, <laughs> just substitute in their likes. Anyone who likes this film obviously didn't understand its yeah. incompetence. Yeah, yeah. And they should be eugenized? I think. I, yeah. Yeah, there's So, uh, on the other side is a two from Bob A, a mm. movie that has stood the test of time as a monument to the easily impressed. <laughs> and uh, this last one, and I put it in here for us because he's Spangle. our new fan, Spangle! 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 Uh, he gave it a nine. Uh, right when I thought I had seen the oddest film ever, a new contender comes along. Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange Kubert. is ex- extraordinarily weird, yet also brilliant. Not only is it beautifully filmed, as expected. Because it's Kubrick. Because it's Kubrick. But it raises numerous cultural issues as well. Odd, elegant, violent, and brilliant. A Clockwork Orange is certainly a classic. Ah, our new fan spangle. All right, we've got some comments that I scraped from our AV b- viewership. These are comments on the poll. The poll where it was nominated... That is correct. So if anyone would like to go double check these comments, they're right there on the Facebooks. Uh, so this is to, to in response to the question, is a Clockwork Orange Pantheon? Does it deserve to be Pantheon? I think Keegan's is right on the money. Keegan went uh, in a very long and eloquent post... Keegan Goodman said... Thought out, well yeah, thought yeah, out. Like, like an essay, really. I, I read this, and I, it, it spoke to my heart in terms of just how succinct and well-written it was. What, what did he say? Uh, yes, it is. There you go. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, how, how you, much you, better can you write that? The, yeah, you, you just can't get more succinct unless he just said yes. But but it is, gives it like yeah. a Kubrickian flair. Yeah. It, it really does. It's Kubrickian. Yeah, uh, Nikki Perkins <laughs> said... Oh, I'll uh, take this one. I need a... <laughs> yes! Yeah. Choice! 
Yeah, uh, there were there. Yeah, there was profanity mm. in that when I had to. I had to muddle oh, out. Oh, I thought yeah. maybe that's how she typed it. Was it was an F. Yes. Dollar sign. Choice. Percent sign. Hashtag. Uh, all yeah. in caps. Yes. Patricia Perillo said, "We're going to rewatch it tonight." I'm totally yes, but Patrick said he was never a fan. And Josh Morris uh, said, "says uh, Josh, a shout out to you, buddy." This movie isn't for just anyone. It takes a special kind of person to understand the art form here. I've seen this movie with a mixed audience, and I get different feedback every time. Some are appalled, some are in amazement, some leave feeling a disconnect from it. This is the film when I knew I was a militant movie buff, and I was cut from a different cloth. This is one of my top ten favorite films, and I applaud Kubrick. Nicely done. On a job well done. And then uh, Zach Brown, to, uh, to, to provide some counter here, said, Unsurprisingly, I'm saying no. What? Not a genre I can appreciate. Also, I see no reason to add yet another Kubrick film. That's Kubrist. That's right. Additionally, I have a general disdain for shock value movies, and this mm. one is no exception. And if you don't like shock value movies, you will not like A Clockwork Orange, because yeah. it is built on shock value. I would also say the same probably thing about Cabaret. So, running down the list for receipts to, uh, to lead us into our uh, butts in seat index yep, yep. here, uh, tell, tell us about A Clockwork Orange. All right, so... Domestic gross box office Clockwork Orange, twenty six point six million. Uh, cost two point two million. Uh, by the way, the point two million was the giant black uh, appendage. Yeah. That he wore. Uh, anyway, two point two million to make it. The butts in seats index. Uh, just a little math. Nineteen seventy two average ticket price of a buck seventy means uh, that butts in seats fifteen point six million. Uh, for a Clockwork Orange. Compare that. Just give us some comparisons. A couple of other movies. Uh, we have 2001, another Kubrick film. Uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. 1968. Domestic gross, 56 million. So it made about twice mm. as much. Average ticket price, one point, uh, one point, a dollar thirty-one. So the butts and seat index has this at 43.2 million people saw this in the theater. I would guess, and don't have the statistics here, I would guess the production budget for 2001 A Space Odyssey was far, far, far in excess of $2.2 yeah, million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, obviously still made a lot more money. But this uh, this has about three times as many people saw uh, Space Odyssey 2001 yeah. in, the, in theaters. In theaters, let alone all of the subsequent viewings. I own a copy of 2001 and... It's now, a movie. Uh, so, and I, I, I was trying to figure out what's a what's a point of comparison for a movie that celebrates violence, uh, <laughs> like like if you had a movie where like uh, people just punch each other in the face randomly and possibly like blew up buildings and stuff. Yeah, so I'm thinking, a, I'm thinking a Fight Club. Oh, <laughs> a Fight Club, a Fight Club, 1999's Fight Club. I Domest- that's a Brad Pitt flick. Yeah. Uh, Domestic gross, uh, it's a meatloaf flick. Oh, meatloaf. Stars meatloaf. Meatloaf, yeah, that's Uh, right. It's a cross-dresser. 
1999 domestic gross, $37 million. Average ticket price in 1999 is $5.08. So it had a butts and seat index of $7.2 million. I also remember Fight Club, when it came out, was not received uh, super well. And its follow-up on like Cinemax and the, the direct and the DVDs and stuff was was huge. It has a it, it, it had a huge cult following. It did post, but in terms of the Even theaters so, itself, seven point two million. Is a yeah, lot. it had half as much as Clockwork Orange, right? Which had three times as less as Space Odyssey two thousand yeah. and one. And when we compared it to the butts and seat index for uh, Avengers Infinity War, that was like five hundred quadrillion. It was five. Yeah, five hundred minus. Plus or minus five infinity. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so before we move on to chatting about our take in the movie, yep. that uh, I've been made aware that there is a bag Ooh. on the table. Uh-huh. And uh, Mr. Moody Mac, if you could open that bag and see what's <gasps> inside. The first thing I see is oh. a glass filled with beautiful it's, amber liquor. Oh, and a, a literally, with the word on it, red label. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 liquor. It is, and I think Cousin Wayne might have given us this bag as a, what are we calling it again? A bribe? A bribe, bribe. indeed. Yes. You know what we should do with this particular uh, amber liquor? I'm just going to throw this out there. Mix it with some stuff. A little bit of ice. Yeah. A little bit of ice. A little bit of lime. Some of this amber liquor, maybe an ounce and a half or so, and a little ginger beer. I got a little, I actually have to have, I happen to have right here a little can of ginger beer. Uh, let me make you one of these. Yeah, sure. Uh, you want to do a little, sh- just a shot before? Yeah, why not? Here, all right. Here, let's go ahead. All right, here and we go. One for you, one for you. me, and to Cousin Wayne. To Cousin Wayne. Mm. Oh, mm. thank you, Cousin Wayne. Oh, slightly smoky with a hint of, yeah. a hint of resentment around there on the end. All right. Oh, and what else <gasps> do we have in the bag? Books! 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 It's... Oh, you know what this is? I don't know if you're aware of what this is. What is that? These are... This is two, one for you, one for me, paperback copies of Anthony Burgess, A Clockwork Orange. They, oh, and there is a... There is a... Is there an inscription? Some <gasps> an inscription. Uh, it says, Greetings, my droogs. I'm cutting to chase and not wasting your time with red sock hats and Ovaltine. ha <laughs> <laughs> The Shade. Here's a copy of the book and some red label. Thanks for reviewing my nomination. Now let the real groovy flow. Uh, P.S. I wanted to send you milk plus, but poor Lucy was dried up. Oh, well, that's yeah. all right. Lucy and, will recover. Uh, I'll just say the uh, that I'm, I'm lactose intolerant, so I, I, I think... I thank you for the the absence of the milk present, yeah. but yeah, thank you, cousin Wayne, thank for you. these gifts. This is amazing. I I actually don't have this book, and I will read this book this summer. So thank you very much. Now uh, that said, uh, as you know, for each of these times, I just bring oodles and oodles of drugs to the table. Well, I see red, and you blue, see what I brought. Green pills, just yeah. in a mound in and the middle. I I do have some glasses of milk to to mix some uh, the, some. Some Vicocet, some uh, The blue pills are diamond-shaped. Uh, that looks familiar. I can't quite figure out. Yeah, it's Velocet, 
Synthamesque, oh. and Drinkcrom. Uh-huh. And uh, each one of them does its own special thing. So as we're as we're doing our podcast tonight, we will be imbibing in these mm. uh, these various uh, various uh, Clockwork Orange drugs. How how is that pill that you just took there, my friend? Uh, well, it was hard to swallow. Yeah, uh, it was a hard pill to swallow. Hard pill to swallow. <laughs> But uh, I don't. I don't have an effect just yet. I'll keep you informed as oh, we go along. Yeah. No, it it is. It's my vision's a, clearing up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So uh, thank you, cousin Wayne, for these gifts. Thank and you, sir. We will cherish them, indeed. And uh, Rachel, if you're listening, next time, just the, you got to get on the ball. Just saying, Rachel. Really? Seriously. The lack of a gift. Yeah, I know. It was it, like it hurt my soul. I, last time and i actually like rachel no yeah, yeah. but this was she uh, seems nice she seemed nice how about you know, that maybe she was just got busy and just forgot you know hey next year right oh there's always next year there's always next year yeah all right so uh let's let's chat about our take on the movie here um so as far we're gonna run down uh we're gonna chat about uniqueness and then do a deep dig and then break down it uh, break down the movie into categories. So right. first, uh, chatting about uniqueness. This movie is an adaptation of a book. It, as such, it won a Hugo Award for mm-hmm. a literary adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also very violent. It's sex-filled. It's nihilistic critique of a decaying so- society. Uh, it has similarities to The Wall in that right. regard. It has similarities to Cabaret in that regard. Um, but let me ask you the question. Um, as as a Pantheon nomination, how would you see this film as unique? Well, the primary element that makes this film unique is the way that it deals with some of these uh, these issues. You know, I, I, I had made a rev- I had uh, had read a review, uh, an explanation from a website called thephilosophy.com. And not to read all the whole detail they gave, but the, the movie's broken down into three acts, which is pretty typical of a, yep. of a good story. But the first act is the violence and stuff that Alex commits with his team. Setting up exposition of Alex and his droogs and doing violence and being violent. But but not even just hinting at his violence, you know. Uh, by comparison, for example, uh, you know, we have mobster movies where they you kind of get the impression of violence or sort of cut scenes that there was violence, but... It's not like an extended no. watching them beat someone to death kind of a, no. most of the time. It was within five minutes of the film that You're we are watching in a, a straight up brutal violent there's, rape. There's a rape scene followed by another rape scene. Followed by another movie. rape scene. And rape scenes that are not just, you know, two or three people raping a person, but but you know, interspersed between moments of raping are what is what the rape really is about: the power, the the violence, the beating, the yeah, all that stuff. It's just right there in your face. That's all Act One. It establishes Alex and his droogs as morally reprehensible characters, and even establishes them amongst other groups uh, that do the same thing as that they are an apex. elite. They yeah. are the apex of the groups. The second act is he's been caught, thrown in prison. Uh, and is dealing with accepting his uh, accepting his uh, uh, guilt, yeah, it, but also going through the process of becoming clean, like rehab, like violence rehab in a way. But they have their own way of doing it in this movie. 
And the third act is him now as a, a recovered violence addict. Yeah. And, and like, uh, to use the word, like, emasculated. Yes. If you take masculization, like, emasculated from the violence. From the so violence. You, you know, like... From he what was, he defined himself as. Yeah, he was a he was a, 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 unit, a violence eunuch. Yep. And then he becomes a victim of his own victims yeah. as they're trying to recover... Uh, you know, some sem- semblance of one after the justice. next. The yeah. old man they beat up, yeah. like shows up and yeah. beats them up, and then his parents, yeah. and then yeah. uh, then his guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that, in my opinion, that particular journey, which the first time I watched this movie, that journey was not apparent to me. I, I just, I was just shocked at the the images that were flashing in front of me. Uh, 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 and so it took me the second or third viewing. I don't even mean this time. I mean years ago, before I started to pick up on the fact that this was this kind of three-part story. And I hadn't thought about the description as three acts until I read this review. But it clicks with me. Yeah. And I think that does that is what makes this movie very unique in its own way. In that it's not just about violence and sex. And a lot of people say it's just about violence and sex, uh, or, or or like some kind of weird drug trip kind of a deal. But it's not. It's about the path that this Alex takes as he goes along. Yeah, and I would say, like, for me, like, it's an artistic expression of this, uh, of Burgess's literary vision. Mm. And um, some of the uniqueness of it is in the adaptation, it, like, Kubrick's interpretation and adaptation of it. Right. And that's part of what makes the film unique. Yeah. And, like, so, among other pantheon possible possibilities, that this is, uh, this is a movie that really dials into an artistic interpretation of literary adaptation. Right. Um, so, uh, any challenges that you would see to this movie? Like, what, what are the challenges that are posed? Without going into it, we're going to yeah. break it down into categories. No, but no, just well, yeah. generally speaking, what are, the, what are the challenges of interpreting a movie like this or evaluating a movie like this for Pantheon. And I think one of them is that that's, that some won't even want to watch it. They won't even want to have to deal with or try to understand what they're seeing. Um, just because of the you know the violence, the rape. Our current society in, in the advancement and progress that we've made sees every single thing he did as even just the way he talked about what he was doing as reprehensible, as completely unacceptable it would be hard. Um, the first time I watched the movie California, you know, yeah, uh, that was rough. And then I would watch that after I had seen *A Clockwork Orange*, of course. But uh, it was rough to watch all that, you know, kind of violence. So the second time through is when I started seeing the storyline they were trying to tell. And I would say that like, kind of thing. Yeah, I would say uh, another thing that would be um, would be a cha- would be challenging about this movie in terms of pantheon or people evaluating it is this movie takes a very strong stance and says this is an important question this is an important issue well one of the issues that brings up is that society is more reprehensible and amoral than this amoral reprehensible individual that is portrayed in the movie and also then the question of like um Morality that is morality inherent. Is it not? Is it and um, is it okay to mess with that or not? Mm-hmm. And the challenge that I, that I see is that, um, and th- this happens everywhere, is that somebody somebody stands up and says, "This is an important issue," or "This is an important question that we need to to think about," and somebody else says, "Yeah, I just don't care." 
yeah. about your question. Or you, I don't want to face your question. Well, yeah. I mean, one side would be, you, I don't want to face your question. And another side would be like, I literally don't care. You say it's important. I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. And if if somebody is watching this movie and just doesn't care about the question, right? then it's just not going to resonate. As a kid, uh, and this occurred to me as we were chatting about this, as a kid, uh, it, what clicked in my head was that they were training out, they were conditioning out the behavior from the guy. The behavior was morally, morally reprehensible. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't agree with what he did. But they were training it out of him. So what if they decided that another behavior was morally reprehensible? Whatever it is. No, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what it yeah. is. As a kid, it wasn't things like, you know praying the gay away and stuff like that it was actually stuff like uh getting your kid to stop playing with themselves or how do you make them stop sucking their thumb or, or drink more milk drink more milk or eat better or, or you know whatever it is and drugs to it that's the answer well that's the way we are now but when i was a kid when i was a kid some of my friends actually went to in the summertime a camp you could call it like a fat camp except it wasn't about being fat it was to train away the thing they were almost always run by either a church organization or a social organization of some sort of cultural organization. And the goal of that was to remove the behavior. This is an extreme example of it, a behavior that nobody wants to be in our society. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're the identical. But in a way, you look at it and say, is it okay to actually train that away? Like, yeah. Well, and, and uh, Kubrick, <laughs> as he's been called by other people. And, and my buddy Stan knows that I love him, <laughs> and uh, I would never actually uh, call him the wrong name. Yeah, the, um, so in terms of, uh, in terms of this movie, that he actually toned it back. I haven't read the book <clears throat> yet, and I, I look forward to it now that I have the book, <clears throat> is the, he actually toned back some of the stuff because, uh, in the book, from what I understand, it, like there's a scene where he goes to the record store and hits on mm -hmm. the young ladies that are present. Uh, Malcolm McDowell is 27 years old when he's portraying the character. The character in the movie is supposed to be 15. Yes. Uh, it, like, it, he's, you know, almost like the movie Grease, where it's like yeah. everybody's in their 30s and they're supposed to be well, in high supposed school. supposed to be 17 and 18. Yeah. Old, yeah. Um, so yeah, but, he, but you think about age of 15. This kid's supposed to be... 15 years old and behaving how we see. Yeah. Now, that was a little visually, uh, you definitely can say he's not that age. And also, the the, the the females that were in the bookstore or in the record store mm. in the book, from what I understand, are not 18-year-olds no. that like this other 18-year-old is hitting on. Right. They're, they're 10. Yeah, they're young. And, and he's 15 and yeah. they're 10 yeah. and then he takes them back to the room and then they're in the movie you've got this extended sex scene right. uh, which uh, apparently took 28 minutes to film and then they condensed it down to like 4 minutes by speeding it up. But in the book that uh, that this fifteen-year-old takes these ten-year-olds and essentially rapes them. Yeah, and this so, is a like hard thing to handle. Apparently, yeah. even Kubrick thought it was hard to handle and filmed it differently. But setting the ages aside for a minute, the whole thing is wrong. Yeah. So, so this all circles back to this saying, movie like, would never been shown if they'd shown a fifteen-year-old. Yeah. So, so this old. circles back on saying, like, we're showing that. So everything about him is morally reprehensible, but is it still okay, even as reprehensible as it is, to train the badness, whatever it is, away? Right. 
And is that more violent than the violence than the perpetrator is committing? It's one of the questions yeah. of the movie. So um, this leads into a, a deep dig. And uh, so I looked at a couple of different articles, like some academic articles on this. And there's a whole bunch that is, have been written about the artistic stylings and the use of music and, and all that sort of stuff. But the ones that, that kind of spoke to me as I was looking at this and I thought were interesting were on two levels. One is about film as a social critique. So like thinking about film as a, as a critique of society, mm. the, and in this case it's the state's use of behavioral conditioning and torture, but then also the philo philosophical quandary, the problem of nature versus nurture when it comes to evil and what to do with that. Right. So, um, so I've got a couple, there's, there's a couple of quotes here. Um, and I'll just I'll read some of them. We can just chat about them. One is from an article by uh, by Strange in 2010 called uh, Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange as Art Against Torture. And uh, says that this movie presented a nightmarish vision of a possible future when torture might become a tool of liberal democratic rule. And it combined that projection with an awareness of the darkest moments in recent history. Kubrick liked to quote, a Catholic film reviewer who endorsed a clockwork orange and referred, referred to the Ludovico treatment as precisely the sort of weapon that totalitarians in state, church, or society might wish for an easier good, even at the cost of individual rights and dignity. So this kind of cuts at the heart of the philosophical quandary familiar. of what what you're doing. Uh, so from this 2016 Darlington article about um, the Art of Moral Panic, Clockwork Orange, and they call it The Art of Moral Panic, right. says the novel induced moral panic, in quotes, about the dangers of, of psych treatments. That's my, my statement uh, of interpretation leading into it. And then the author writes, when behavioral psychiatry was given government sanction, it reverted immediately from the painless utopian path of Skinner and directly onto the road assigned to it by Burgess 10 years earlier, but A Clockwork Orange did not only predict the excesses of behavioral psychiatry, classical conditioning, uh, in this case, it can also be seen to have helped end them. So this author is, is claiming that at that time, people were getting real into thinking about using classical conditioning mm -hmm. as a way to control society. But the A Clockwork Orange, even though it was not necessarily always welcomed, that it... it, it, it shown a spotlight on the on the dangers or the downside of it got it um and then uh and then this last one is from uh math ice uh, said observe all on the staging of fundamental fantasy jouissance and gaze in stanley kubrick's a clockwork orange jouissance means kind of enjoying violence mm -hmm. so it's kind of like schadenfreude but it's just about enjoying watching violence against others. As opposed to just enjoying the, the suffering of yeah. others. Yeah. So although the members of uh, the cinema audience are not injected with a serum and are not strapped in a straitjacket, the experience of observing violence is meant to provoke in them the experience of conflict. That experience is enforced by, for example, the paradoxical, paradoxical association between the Gene Kelly song, Singing in the Rain, and the sexualized violence in the home sequence. As Rice notes, has it occurred to anyone that after our eyes metaphorically 
after having our eyes metaphorically clamped open to witness the horrors that Kubrick parades across the screen, none of us will be able to hear this hear singing in the rain without a vague feeling of nausea. The film not only provokes the viewer's complicity with Alex as the perpetrator, but also with the character's position as victimized observer. In both cases, the complicity is substantiated by jouissance, by uh, the audience's appreciation of watching the violence happening before them. Right. So the, this, this person is laying out the claim that uh, the audience, uh, because of the way they shot the film, from both the perspective of watching the violence that Alex was doing, but also watching the violence that was done to Alex, that, uh, that we, as outside observers of having seen both sides, are complicit in all the violence, that we are complicit members of society that is violent. Yeah, in effect, we we didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, we didn't stop watching the movie. Nope. Uh, we watched it all the way through. We watched the violence happen repeatedly. We were, we were gladly and gleefully part of the fundamental fantasy of jouissance mm. that uh, that paraded before us. I, I just thought there. The, so I didn't mean to like dig too deep on it, but I thought those were three interesting perspectives uh, brought forth on the movie. Yep. Um, all right. So let's break it down by categories now. So we've done we've done some oversight, some broad overviews of challenges with the movie. We've looked at we looked at, at also doing a little deep dig on some some deep thoughts in the movie. Right. Now let's break it down. You and me. What do you think about let's so for the categories of acting, directing, cinematography, screenplay, special effects? We can even throw music in there. Sure. Uh, acting. What'd you think? So I'll tell you something. Uh, this movie, uh, when it comes down to the acting and the casting, reminds me a lot of the way that uh, I felt about... Um, I felt about... Um, Which one? Cabaret? Young uh, Frankenstein? Dear Zachary. <laughs> the wall. Sorry. The wall. Oh, my mind, my yeah, mind yeah, slipped. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. lost the cog. You know what happens after like 95 the, years it's old? It's the red label from Wayne. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Wayne. So anyway, uh, Pink Floyd, the wall. In that I know, I am familiar with and know the one actor. I, I know there were other actors in the movie that, yeah. that people know, but I only remember the one. And when I see that actor in stuff now, my brain still says, "Yeah, the guy from, the guy from uh, yeah. uh, Clockwork Orange." And so, uh, uh, yeah, I I felt like the, the some of the casting was just like background characters. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain how I feel about it. Uh, that said, Malcolm McDowell, yeah, knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And we said the same thing about the character from Pink Floyd, you yeah. know, played Pink, is that, yeah. you know, way, like, this is the character he was told to play. He freaking played it. And he know? did it. And so, yeah, I would say Malcolm McDowell. Like, there's there's a lot of other interesting things and good things in there, but it really all hangs on Malcolm McDowell's uh, uh, performance. Malcolm McDowell's the only actor and character that is in the entire movie from beginning to end, middle, and the whole bit. And the whole thing wrote, it's almost like there's a, 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 a GoPro camera sort of hanging on him and we're watching everything from that the whole movie long so you know that's that's the main character that's the one that i remember who were some of the other main characters main actors that were cast in this movie people that we would know today uh the only one that that uh pops into mind 
and this was part of the the, the fun facts that we had uh, later mm. on in the movie. Is sure, sure. That, um, uh, have you heard of Darth Vader? Do you mean the voice of Darth Vader? No, no, the, dude the, that the was character in the actor. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, so th- this is uh, is he the guy from Top Gun? IMDb's uh, trivia page says before he would famously go on to portray Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy, and David, all of his, David have... Prowse had his first big break by being <laughs> cast in this film. He was the guy who carried the guy in the wheelchair down the stairs. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, even he had. All oh no, of his, he carried Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. yeah. Even so, he he had all of his lines overdubbed uh, <laughs> later in the in the uh, editing room. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody else really like like I, I can't point to any other super famous people that I know. Uh, that was my point. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that doesn't mean that it wasn't cast well. This is 71. It doesn't mean it wasn't cast well, but there are a lot of actors that we would know today that could have been a part of this movie. But remember what the budget was? 2.2 million. Yeah. yeah. How many major top actors can you have in this movie with that kind of a budget? So the question is, is it Pantheon acting uh, if if Malcolm McDowell carries the day and that everybody else was good enough? I think you could argue maybe. Okay. How about directing? What do you think about Kubrick's direction in this film? I think Kubrick was Kubrick. I think he directed it the way he directs all of his top movies. I think that he made some excellent choices. You know, you talked about the fact that the audience is, the perspective of the audience is as almost like participant, certainly passive observer, but not willing to get involved uh, throughout it. And I think he made an intentional choice to do it. And I think it was a good choice. And it's the reason why the movie. Uh, feels the way it does. Yeah, I asked uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, Martin Fernandez, because he said, oh, I love, love the book and love the movie. Shout out and to Fern. Shout out to Martin Fernandez. And he said that I just like how everything that Kubrick did was so artistic. And right. like the whole movie, every frame of the movie is artistic. And, and like this is very similar to uh, talking about Life Aquatic, is that you could take any frame of the film... And it and and hang it on the wall, and that's and you'd be like, I know what that is. Yeah, and and it would be beautiful. Right as his boot is about to hit the writer's head, as his and friend he, is holding this. Like every, he thought of everything and yeah. every scene that everything had was just perfect. I mean, he famously shot the last scene seventy four times mm-hmm. before he got what he liked. Exactly you know? what he wanted. Um, yeah, so I feel. I like, think he's dead on there. I, I, I'm. I'm. Now, quite some happy people with the might say like this is not my favorite Kubrick film, or but, they might say they're not into Kubrick at all. Yeah, yeah. But so, I would say like it's tops as yeah. far as directing is going. And I, uh, I watched it this three times. I watched it once in college and then twice for this for, conversation. This. You hadn't seen it since college. I hadn't though. seen it since college. I watched. But you it. remembered it. You oh remember, yeah, you and I saw bits and pieces, and you remember the pieces of it. Yeah. Um, I watched it a couple weeks ago, and then I watched it again today. Okay. Um, and, and like it's solid. Like it's as a movie, it's just it's just solid. Yeah. So how about um, cinematography? Cinematography, uh, just the it, it, films and locations 
Um, so he used uh, he used several different tex- techniques in there. He used a wide angle lens uh, often to create a dreamlike quality. That he used the sp- sped up and slowed down films to to mm-hmm. do things that he had in- interjected with other scenes of violence into the film. Remember in the, in, the, in the locations, 70s, this was shot in sixty nine and seventy, I think. The, the that time period, uh, there wasn't the kind of special effects that we would have now. You know, you know, you're not going to do the kind of cropping, zooming. But the locations editing, were all on work. point. Like, and, yeah. and the locations add like they 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 mostly focused on uh, brutalist brutalist architecture, which is the like Lego block. Uh, like it's not a nice building. It's like it's all blocky and right. moved, janky and stuff. Right. Um, and the architecture was very kind of seventies. The um, yeah. So. And there's a note. There's a note here about the microphones they use. This was a, a groundbreaking movie in that aspect. Yeah, one of the first films to employ radio mics to record sound, so that there was no post syncing required. Yeah, and they didn't have to do looping for all. Well, they did a little. They didn't have to do looping for much of it. Where a lot of movies filmed in that era, they would come looping. They would go back in the studio and they re recite their lines in sync with watching the movie. They didn't have to do any of that. What do you think about the screenplay itself, the story and the screenplay? So I've I'm of two minds. I haven't read the book yet, as I said. Now I will. Thank you, cousin Wayne, again for that. But um, a screenplay of a book to me needs to be the book rewritten so that it can be filmed. Not all books can be filmed as mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. Right. And in fact, many cannot. Some can. But um, a screenplay needs to match and and. I've heard both sides of this, that he took too many liberties with the book. or Like like The Shining. Yes. Or he could have gone further. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, I'm on both sides of that one. But uh, it's not my cup. It's not my. It's not my my ballywig, ballywig to know what's a good screenplay. I thought you might be using NADSAT, the invented language by NADSAT. Anthony oh, Burgess, just a little bit there, who's Bolly, uh, dabbled Bolly in sociolinguistics. It's not. Uh, it's not in my ballyhooji. Yeah, to know that one, I just made one up myself. Thank you very much. And you definitely, when you're watching this movie, you're like, "What the heck is going on?" And then, like, kind of like watching Shakespeare, you start picking up. What's going on right. with context that you yeah. understand the words? But well, the first time I realized he was saying "vidi this," that he was actually talking about look with his glasses, yeah, which with is his, his eyes, eyes. Uh, that or yarbles right. for uh, for the so male parts right there. Uh, his wait, droogs wait. were his yarbles friends. Were, yarbles. Yeah, Hold yarbles. on, go back. Yarbles were his what? The same as Shazzy's. You know oh, what I'm talking about. Oh, like Shazzy's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, or if he had used the phrase Nancy's, I would have got that one too. But yeah, yeah no yarbles. That's good. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about your yarbles earlier, actually. The, the, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel gloopy. Oh. Uh, the, uh, so... It's a little warm in here. I might need a tashtuk to wipe down my forehead. <laughs> Wait. Is that like... Yeah. Okay, that's not motorboating. That's different. Yeah, no, no. That's a little bit different. Okay. The uh, And the language was an amalgam of Cockney, schoolboy language, and Russian stuff. Oh, fair enough. Um, so some have made the connection with uh, uh, a, like... 
Is it is it a communist propagandist film? Is it against communist propaganda? Just because he makes Russian in there? Well, yeah, and and yeah, mm. and Kubrick relied on this kind of brutalist architecture, which might yeah. have reflected back on yeah. some of the yeah. Those are all things that people chat about. Mm, interesting. Um, did you like the story? Yes. Like, overall, did you like? Is this a story that you say this is a this is a the way they they did the story is pantheon level. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I really like the story, but again, that was after my third viewing, or, or maybe even the viewing after I had read this uh, this discussion, this psych- uh, psychology-focused yeah. discussion about how the story was broken in three parts, and the adventure you're on is this, you know, act one, act two, act three, but these are what the acts are about. I anticipated the story and saw where it was going, as opposed to f- the first time you watch it where you're just sucked through... The garden knows of where this thing is going, you know. I gotta be like, I I gotta be honest. From what you're saying, is my same experience of like, I did not really even care about this film until I watched it a third time. The third time, isn't that weird? Yeah, the first time was just what the heck. Also, college, I was 19 or 20 years old or well, whatever. Okay, you're it was. in a room of mildly, probably sweaty boys that are 18 or 19 years Very old. Very sweaty. Watching. Uh, watching what would effectively be considered rape scenes. By the way, hold on. This is a a, a, a religious college. Watching mm-hmm. what would effectively be determined as porn uh, and violence. So violent porn in a dorm room with a bunch of guys, like ten or twelve in a small dorm room. Uncomfortable, yeah. unfreaking comfortable. So why would you enjoy that? Yeah. Well, some might, but well, you know, to each you, to each their own. You know, I would that. not enjoy that, but others might be like, "This is my cup of tea." Yeah, oh, we have a friend. I think Brad—that's his name, right? Oh yeah. I think if he oh, was in a store, if there room, was a guy who just would love guys. being in a room, a dark room with sweaty guys, even a light room, yeah. I'm thinking someone like Brad, who, by the way, I appreciate him. Um, oh, deeply, deeply, deeply. Very I deep. think he would not only enjoy that experience; he would try to make it as uncomfortable as possible for those around him by his behaviorals, by his behaviorals, his behaviorals, by his behaviorals, yeah. uh, both appropriate, inappropriate, and appropriate. Yeah. Question yeah. mark. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, special. So uh, special effects. I I can't think of like really many special effects. In the the way that the you talked about it. The, cin- the the special effects were in the cinematography because of the oh, way they shot. You it, know what the eye thing. Together. Yeah. Okay. The sure. most classic part but of the movie. That's not even a special effect. No, but it's, it's a practical effect. It, yeah, a practical effect. Thank you. They literally made him wear yeah. those things. Those were real. And, yeah, and they had to have a doctor in. <sighs> they had to have a doctor present. Like, the guy who was putting eyedroppers was an yeah. actual doctor, so he that he wouldn't lose his sight. He did get an infection from those well, things. Well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, what about the music? Because, like, that doesn't fit in any one of the categories we have here. Well, you know, in this case, I don't feel like the music told the story as much as just enhanced the emotions of what was going on in the scenes. I think for the most part, anyway. Uh, I don't recall the music telling the story. No, but, like, it was a character uh, in the story. There you are. Uh, that this the um, the two sidedness of it, where you have classical music and synth music, and yeah. you you bounce back and forth between classical and synth, and some yeah. sometimes you have a combination of mm-hmm. s- classical music played with a synthesizer. Yeah. 
Um, and by the way, this afternoon when I was looking up, I was like, Ludovico, what a weird word. Where does that come from? It's an, it's an, so that was the technique of drugging the person. Oh, right. Keeping the eyes open and making showing the violence the, yeah. until he got sick. The Ludovico technique. Yeah. So he was a, so I was like, where did that come from? Oh, it's an Italian word. And they break down the word and they also said, uh, this is a, so it's an Italian name, Ludovico, similar to, uh, like, and it has the same derivative roots as the German name, Ludovico, Ludwig. Ludwig. Ludwig von, Ludwig von Beethoven. Uh, so there's a connection between Ludovico technique and his Ludwig von Mm. appreciation which uh the etymology of ludwig is the famous war or the big war so the ludovico technique was this oh i thought it was sexy hairpiece oh that it, it has it, it, i've heard it both ways ludwig yeah yeah no yeah i thought that was what it was but the uh, the idea of the uh the, this was the this is a grand war on right. psychology yeah and that's tied into Ludwig von, and the music has kind of like this grand, violent nature to it. Didn't Kubrick use the uh, this technique as well with monkeys, like in two thousand one or something, where they maybe that was a different movie. I'm remembering a movie with monkeys forced to watch violence and war and bombs and killing and all kinds of stuff for a specific reason, and it makes them crazy. I will have to find that. We I gotta find. Don't it. know what that listeners. Is. If you know this movie, yeah, chime in and let us know which movie. That I is. won't remember asking the question tomorrow, yeah. but I'm asking it today. Uh, so this movie uh, was put up in 1991 or 1971 for a uh, several Academy Awards, but it didn't get any. It was the only movie to be put up for awards and not get any in, for the 1971 category. Um, that said, it it did win this Hugo Award that I mentioned, a New York Film Critic Award, a Venice Film Award. Right. Um, so uh, it has been appreciated, but it's not been widely appreciated as top of its game like Godfather or other films, right? Cabaret. Cabaret, even. Which didn't get best film, <laughs> no. but it got eight others. Godfather. But Godfather did get that in 1972, which I'm glad I'm doing this companion series now, so I have that trivia in my head. Just floating in there amongst Um, all the synapses. So uh, let's chat about voting here uh, as we move on. Um, So this comes from Cousin Wayne. He nominated this for consideration. He he loved it to death, uh, and then... um, that he says a couple things like uh, that he loves. First thing would be the soundtrack, which is something else Stanley Kubrick films are known for. There's just something about Ludwig von Beethoven that feels and sounds fitting for Alex's journey. Uh, lastly, I before I finish up, is the extremely talented acting performance given by Malcolm McDowell. One thing I find fascinating about how he portrays his character is just how effing evil he can seem without saying a word, and I will agree with that. Evil. Yeah, feeble. He's he's so feeble. Um, just his facial expressions alone seem to deliver a hundred lines. Well, and you know it's true about the guy anyway. I mean, how many movies have we seen him in? How many roles have we seen him in? And yeah. just a facial expression is almost all he needs yeah. many times to express a full emotion. All right. Um, th- were, were there any favorite scenes from the movie before we we move on to the guessing about the council? Favorite. That, that, or like most memorable or they stand out for you. 
What do you think? You know, most memorable for me is the scene in the rain scene uh, where he and his crew are taken out, uh, are, are raping and, and beating the couple. Uh, famous, famously, that he ran into Gene Kelly at a party several, several years later, and Gene Kelly uh, saw him, turned and walked the other way in disgust oh, after yeah. the movie. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me, though, because... You know, Gene Kelly wanted to be remembered a certain way. They bought the rights to that for, like, uh, it was Nothing. really cheap. Yeah. Yeah. But not the rights, like, in perpetuity, but to put it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He just bought the rights to put any it in other, the movie. Any other scenes that stand yeah, out? Yeah, uh, I remember. Besides for the eyes. Yeah, which are, the eyes are a big one. But there's a scene towards the end where he is making what you would assume to be monogamous love to a woman in like a big cushy bed surrounded by kind of normal everyday people and they're applauding i think that was the very last very last scene and that is a very memorable scene for me because this is like a complete flip in this character that he's enjoying normalness yeah but he, under supervision. He's back to Violet. And I love the nurse in that scene, by the way. She's just, she's just like, oh, like her whole demeanor is like, oh, he made a poopy. Yeah. Like, like he's like, he shows a cartoon, says, what would you say here? Like, no time for the old in and out, just here to check the just meter. Check and the she's meter. like, oh, that's so great. He's violent again. He's rapey again. Um, but uh, one of the things about that final scene of the movie. Yeah. And for me, in watching the movie, that this kind of pulls everything together where the um, the guy who was in charge, who kind of made him bad, and to who did the Ludovico technique on him, who was a government official from the party that was in power, the guy who was in the wheelchair was a dissident who mm-hmm. was voting for, a, like, writing for another party, right. that the politician was trying to circumvent... Uh, and and adopt Alex again as his own person, uh, and you realize that even though we've watched this whole movie about Alex, that he is but a pawn, just a pawn in the entire scheme of things. So that everybody like he's like, all right, w- are you willing to to be a pawn? And he's like, sure thing, clear as yeah. as your sky. Yeah. And all the photographers come in and take a picture of him, giving a thumbs up, and then he has that orgiastic. Uh, Mental image that of him uh, having right. having sex where the Dickensian people are clapping yep. around him. Yep. But he's just a he's he's a pawn. He didn't he, he he literally did not matter to the whole movie. No. As a person. No. Because he's just a pawn for somebody else's game. Right. Someone else's game that he has no idea yeah. of being played. Um. All right. So, what's your guesses on the council votes here? The like. Um, how do you think this is going to go? Uh, Facebook poll. I'll just jump in. Yeah, Facebook, Facebook poll is a yes. Is a yes right now. Sixty six yes. Yeah. Twelve no. Yeah. Twelve haven't seen it. Four need to rewatch. Facebook polls That's typically one. go yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And they in this case, always. this year there was at least one that yeah, went no. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, and then um, in this case, you know, cousin Wayne's a yes. He nominated the thing. Yep. Uh, I'm going to guess Seth is yes. I am. I, I think Seth's a yes. I think this is his. I think this is and something he'd like. I saw so many similarities between this and Life Aquatic that I would yeah. say that Kyle would be a yes as well. I think so. In terms also, of just like the way it's filmed, that he's just going to like it. Yeah, I also see similarities in the kind of things that you would like 
for this and um, yeah, and and uh, Pink Floyd and the Wall. Yeah, so I think that's a guess. So what would you say? Uh, so um, as as we walk through, do you have any any thoughts on any of the other people? Like or or generally speaking, what you think the numbers are going to be on this one? I I think that it might be close. Yeah, it might be six or seven or sitting on the edge. I think I'm. I think I'm aware of two that are no's, uh, and I be, at least two. So uh, you're talking about Brad? I think Brad's a no. Yeah, yeah. That's my guess. Um, it's not going to be his bag. He doesn't. Uh, just is not going to care about watching rape movies. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I don't. I think yeah. I think he would like that. But Any I'm other, saying I don't think he would and, like this rape. Yeah, movie. sure, yeah. sure. And which other rape movie? Or uh, which oh, other? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Which other? Uh, which without, other? No. Without naming names, I think there's a female on the council uh, who who might say no. Um, and so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how yeah, that goes. Yeah, we'll leave that very very general, very so we don't vague. highlight who that might be. You know, yeah. if you don't know the council. You don't know who I'm talking about. So, so you, how many knows? How many yeses? What do you think? My guess is it's either going to be six and five or seven and four. Uh, so you're thinking right on the yeses. edge. That's my guess. And That's I'm my th- guess. I'm thinking uh, if I had to guess, I'm thinking eight. Eight and three. I think it's a yes. Yeah. And um, oh, if it's not a yes, it's going to be right on the line. But I think I think. Statistically, I think I think it's got a heavier chance of being a yes than a no. How about the that? Shining and two thousand one are already in Pantheon currently, mm. um, but some I I feel like some would argue that this one is not. We read at least one person who said, "Yeah, it's not their favorite." There's already other Kubrick, Kubrick movies in Pantheon. We don't Kubrick. need another. Yeah, Kubrick. Yeah. Um. So. If you had to vote, well, we will vote we right will now. Vote, yeah. So, so what is your what's your vote on this one? I have to be completely honest that while a, two weeks ago I was not on the fence, I have been on the fence all day and throughout our entire podcast. Um, I feel like for me, this is just for me, that the material in the movie is still very difficult to watch. And I find myself uh, almost experiencing what he does to people, and then what is done to him personally. So, so that makes it hard, and I have to push that aside and think about the movie. I'm aware of that. Yeah. But that's a part of whether you think a movie is pantheon, right? Yeah. Is your experience? It is. It, it is. So that you know, so so even right this second, I'm not sure I can click yes or no. I will. I will before we finish. But I'm not sure I can right now. So um, I'll be honest that uh, after my second viewing, I was a no. After my third viewing, I'm a yes. Okay. Um, and it shocked me because after my second viewing, I was uh, I was like, yeah, I think that the, there's a lot of great things about this movie. It, it might be a great movie, but it's not Pantheon. Right. But then after watching it and catching little things and seeing little things and, and seeing other other aspects of, like, 
catching what the meaning was of that final scene right. and really understanding it. Right. Uh, that it was enough for, let's say, uh, a Pantheon has to be what four point five out of out of yeah, five out stars. Of five, yeah. And I was I was some I was a little bit less, and now I've just more. I've just passed over the edge. Right. And I would say for me, it, it's crossed over to a yes okay but it's it it's honestly right on the edge like this is a movie that like i struggle with so what are the things what are the things about the movie because we're talking about you right now what are the things about the movie that would that might still make it a no (sighs) that that some of it is that there's still an element of the central discussion about uh, Alex's morality and the state's morality and what they're doing that there's there's some of it that I don't kind of care about uh, the question enough to make it worth it right. like like if you, if you asked me a week ago or a few days ago after this last viewing and I, I'd say like oh yeah it's an okay movie I just don't care this time around I was like okay I get it right it's a begrudging yes, but it's a yes. And, um, so you think you're still holding on maybe to some of the things you felt before? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I guess part of the problem is for me is that it's such a murky movie where the answer is not satisfying Mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, this is a satire against, uh, the, the, the behavioral, uh, reconditioning of the state. But at the same time, Alex is just a jerk. Yeah, and he's going to go out in society and be a horrible, do it again, horrible person. So, like, I just watched this horrible person who's not really any, who's not redeeming except for the fact that he's polite and charismatic. <laughs> uh, but he's still morally reprehensible. Right. And I, I don't root for him. But he wins, right? So, like, that's that's the that's the quandary. Makes it tough, and it makes it tough. I think that's probably where I am too. I mean, you know, thinking, you know, trying to kind of wrap my mind around where I am. Yes or no? Um, if I vote yes, it's because it's a classic movie. It's a great movie. It has all these features. We talked about cinematography, direction. You know, casting was not a plus for me because it's really just the one guy, as far as I'm concerned. But. And I know we can argue, I could talk to somebody who knows this movie inside out, and they'll say, wait a minute, what about this actor and this character? And I can't tell them, no, they're wrong. But still, that's not what that's not what I took away from it, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen I have seen this movie so many times now. Yeah. I'll I, so we'll go ahead and look forward to what you end up saying on the poll itself. Fair enough. I'll let you think about it later on tonight. Fair enough. Uh, so let's let's pull this to a close and chat about some closing thoughts. I did scrape some other trivia here uh, that uh, of a couple things that I wanted to to point out um, before before we ended is that one of the things that Stanley Stanley Kubrick was so uh, protective of this film that he would send out new films to the theater to make sure that they hadn't edited out some of the violence or other scenes um, and that he didn't want and he didn't like there's no outtakes of this movie because they burned all of the excess all of the extra stuff that right. that they had that they didn't use they could just they got rid of it and completely burned it out this is rated as number two of the 25 most controversial movies of all time by entertainment entertainment weekly and one of only two movies rated x on its original release 
the other being Midnight Cowboy in 1969 to be a nominated for Best Picture for the Academy Awards. Um, so I thought that was pretty fun as well. Um, and we mentioned a number of the other things. Are, are there any other final comments that you'd like to make? Well, you were talking about trivia, and I had forgotten this one until just now, but the, the this is that the singing in the rain scene, the singing in the rain scene uh, was not scripted that way, that they actually shot that that particular scene a lot of a lot of different ways and experimented until they came up with that particular one. And that scene, and we both mentioned uh, how memorable that scene is, that scene stands apart as something that if anyone sees this movie and they see uh, that, you know, doesn't see the movie, they see that scene as a clip, like on the screen in the back. You could be watching another movie yeah. and on a TV screen in the background is that scene with the violence and rape where he's singing in the rain. Yeah. You'll know exactly. Sure, and that's been parodied all, all over the place, all including the place. in The Simpsons. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I've said most of my piece uh, yeah. already about the the things uh, Fair enough. through the movie. Uh, so, uh, one last one last chance. Any last any last last thought? Uh, no, I have. You good? I have shot what I got. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Is this the last Kubrick movie that should be accepted at all? for Pantheon here. No, so, I mean, have you looked at a list of his yeah. movies? Eyes, Holy Eyes Wide Shut, Full Metal That's, Jacket. Eyes Wide Shut is a no. No. Full I, Metal Jacket. Potentially. Potentially. Um, uh, Doctor Strangelove, one of the classics. There you are. Uh, and then, there, then uh, there's a couple others that are earlier movies. Uh, Lolita. <laughs> so I rewatched Lolita about a year ago. There's a whole separate conversation going on You're there. You're going to have to burn your computer Ugh, for that burn one. My eyeball. Well, Doctor Strangelove might be one that could be. Uh, I could see like that. Pe- people love that movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Some famous scenes in there. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's bring this to a close. And uh, as always, I hope everyone enjoyed tonight's conversation. Where can Videoland find you, Mr. Miggity Miggity Mac? On Facebook. You'll find me on Adventures in Videoland on Facebook. Or you can uh, you can friend me. You can friend someone with a message now and say, this is how I know you. That's right. You can do that. And you can uh, friend me and say, hey, you know, I I, saw, I, I see, I heard you or, or found you on Adventures in Videoland. Is that red label kicking in? <laughs> that red label is kicking in, big boy. Uh, so you can also find me on Facebook. Um, and you can find us, uh, Adventures in Videoland, on the website adventuresinvideoland.com. You can find us on Instagram. You find us on Facebook because the conversation, as always, begins and ends on our Facebook page. You have been listening to Criticism in its finest hour. Until next time, Videolanders, no time for the old in and out. Just here to check the meter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to no, work. No, no, no. Um, Hold on. Uh, uh, you have a good one to end uh, this. Uh, uh, that's a real oogly googly. That's not from the movie, but it's just something fun to say. How about this? Oh. How about this? We, we love, love you. you.